Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for September 26, 2017. On today's show, we'll go to the water cooler. We'll talk about Star Trek Discovery and the Museum of Ice Cream. And in the news, we're going to be talking about the Gambit movie. What do we know about the plot? Stay tuned. Uh, We'll also be talking about the possibility of Quentin Tarantino directing a Star Trek movie. And in addition to that, in our feature presentation, Jacob Hall comes on to talk about the best movies he's seen in the first half of Fantastic Fest 2017, and we'll give an update on the whole Alma Drafthouse, Tim League, Devin, Faraci, Harry Knowles situation, in case you're wondering about that. But with me on today's podcast is Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? Uh, not much. It, actually, not much at all. If you look at the site, SlashFilm.com, not that I'm telling you not to go there, but there's there really is a dearth of... of there really isn't much news going on right now. Yeah, so that's what we were talking about right before we started recording. There's a lot of news, but none of it is really um, podcast-worthy, I guess you would describe it that way. Yeah, it's actually, you know, there's a lot of trailers you can go watch, and there's a lot of uh, things to read about, but they're not very discussion-worthy. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, before we get into that, let's uh, let's stop over here by the water cooler and talk about what we've been doing um over the weekend, I got to see Star Trek Discovery, the first two episodes. Did did you watch the show? I did not. No. Uh, why Why not? So Star Trek Discovery just sort of pisses me off. Not the idea of <laughs> a new Star Trek show. That's great. But the idea that CBS is forcing people to subscribe to their CBS All Access service in order to watch all of the future episodes, I just... Um, I bristle at that and I sort of refuse to do it. Um, so I didn't even watch the uh, premiere episode, which actually premiered on CBS, the regular traditional broadcast network, um, because, uh, you know, even if I hated it, I'm not going to watch anymore. And then I would really feel bad if I loved it and then just had to stick to my principles and refuse to subscribe to CBS All Access. So I just bought, uh, didn't even bother watching it at all. But what did you think about it? I, don't know, I was just so curious. I had to check it out. Um, and it should be said, CBS All Access, I think it's $10 a month for no commercials, $5 a month if you want to sit through commercials, uh, which sucks. 
you know they should yeah. just give it for free if you're sitting through commercials um but uh the first two episodes are, are pretty good um i'm not sure what the show is quite yet because not to give anything away but these first two episodes are almost like a prologue to the show it's almost like a prequel to the show that is to come and uh i think it's probably fair it's not a spoiler to say that we don't even see the star trek discovery the ship the star trek discovery in the first two episodes so if that gives you any indication of things but we do get to meet a bunch of the characters and um it's so strange to me that this is set in the i guess they call it the uh what do they call it? the the previous universe of star trek not the not, prime timeline is prime, that right prime, something like that what, ah. whatever it's set in that universe yet it feels visually so jj abrams yeah and it, it seems like jj abrams was, was in was definitely an influence on the look of this show and also it's so action packed these first two episodes, so much happens. This ser- this uh, season kind of is going to show us the 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 big Klingon war that we've always heard about, and um, and we get to see you know the 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 beginning of that in this uh, in these first two two episodes, and it almost feels not like a Star Trek show because of that. It feels like, uh, and I know this is part of the show that kind of like in war, you know, there's the loss of the uh, the ideals. That you know the Enterprise and or not Enterprise the uh, the Federation holds so dear, mm-hmm. uh, but um, you know I, I was missing what I was missing from the Star Trek movies, which I love, is kind of like uh, that Gene Roddenberry those Gene Roddenberry hopeful ideas, mm-hmm. and I feel like so far those are kind of a little bit missing from these first two episodes, but I'm excited for it. I'm gonna. I'm going to subscribe to CBS All Access, and <laughs> it, which sucks too because, I mean, CBS All Access has access to every single show that CBS has ever produced. I think, wow, and or most of them, including all the Star Trek shows, and but nothing I care about except yeah. for Star Trek Discovery. So I'm I'm literally it's it's one of the situations like where you subscribe to HBO for Game of Thrones. Do you know what I mean? It's right, but, yeah. So, uh, but, um, it's still, uh, I wish, you know, my girlfriend Kitra during the show said that she wished this was produced by like Netflix or something where, you know, it, it still looks like Star Trek always looked like kind of like a low budget TV show. And this mm-hmm. does look better. It does have some CG, you know, the CG budget is much higher than any of the previous shows, I think, but it still looks and feels like a, a CBS show, even though it is serialized. So I yeah, I think I think I heard that um, each episode costs like eight million dollars to make or something, which makes it like one of the most expensive shows on TV or on a, a streaming service. Yeah. yeah. So um, I, I heard from a lot of people who watched it last night that the VFX looked pretty good. Um, I'm wondering from you, Brian Fuller, who's the the showrunner behind Hannibal, and he's working on American Gods. He sort of came in and like broke the outline for the first season. He was going to be the showrunner for this and then ended up stepping away and moving over to American gods full time. So I think he wrote the pilot and maybe, yeah, was like sort of largely responsible for getting the show like up and running in its beginning stages. I wonder, did you feel any Brian Fuller influence in what you saw in those first two episodes? And are you worried about the show being able to sustain its quality over the first season? 
I don't know. That, that That's a tough question. Um, I don't know if I felt Brian Fuller's influence. I, it definitely felt more, I felt more of J.J. Abrams, Alex Kirchman is a producer. I felt his influence. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I feel like I from everything, when we saw Brian Fuller at Comic-Con, he was talking about the hopefulness of this. And, you know, it's called Star Trek Discovery, which is such a hopeful name. And so far, it's been kind of war and grim, and the Klingons look stupid. And it seems like it seems like they wanted to like let's make we need something like Game of Thrones. Let's let's do Game of Thrones, but with Klingons. Yeah. So there's all these different houses of Klingons, and we're getting to see kind of a a peek into that culture, um, which is interesting. But it just it does it, it seems very obvious. <laughs> what they, yeah. what they're trying to do here? Uh, it, it, that might sound like I don't like the show. I'm, I'm I really enjoyed the first two episodes, um, and I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes next. But uh, but I'm not quite sold completely. I mean, I guess I am because I I you know I pressed the button and I ordered CBS All Access. <laughs> so yeah, all right. So w- w- what have you been up to this weekend? Uh, I went to the Museum of Ice Cream, which is in downtown Los Angeles. That might sound like some sort of, uh, you know, highfalutin uh, thing where you actually learn about the history of how ice cream is made. It's none of that, really. It's basically just uh, a, an Instagram hotspot, for lack of a better term. It's like a, a an abandoned warehouse that these people have come in and set up to um, – to basically just be a bunch of rooms that have like insane wallpaper and sort of like art installations and stuff that are all themed around different types of ice cream and different colors. And it's all super bright and crazy. And uh, they actually give you ice cream while you're there. And that's a big part of the reason why I wanted to go is because I love ice cream so much. Um, I was talking to my wife about this and we were like, I'm pretty sure this is, this is the most millennial thing we've ever done. Just like going to a place like this <laughs> where it's, it's basically just the whole existence for it is just so you to, for you to be able to sort of share that you were there on Instagram, but they have, um, rooms where there are like hundreds of different colored bananas hanging from the ceiling. There's a a yellow side of the room and a pink side of the room. Um, There's a, I I think the sort of centerpiece of the whole thing is a sprinkle pool where there's like three feet of sprinkles in a, like a cement, uh, what looks like a swimming pool with no water in it, but it's all sprinkles. And there's, they're not actually real sprinkles because if you were to go into that, you would your uh, arms and legs and everything would be colored with all of the you know the food coloring and the dyes and stuff that are in sprinkles. So it's it's actually just pieces of plastic that look just like sprinkles. Um, so yeah, you, then they have like beach balls in there and all this stuff, and you can basically like swim around in this giant thing of of sprinkles. So it's it's very ridiculous. It's like a a pretty um, goofy sort of gimmicky kind of place, but the ice cream there was fantastic it was i was expecting it to be sort of subpar just like oh yeah whatever you're more here for the photos than you are you know for to actually get anything that tastes good out of this experience but they give you a bunch of different flavors of ice cream um and man yeah they, they were all really really good they're colored very ridiculously in keeping with the tone of the overall place but um but yeah they're delicious so uh i'd recommend stopping by and and checking it out there's like a room where 
it looks like there are giant popsicles that are like stuck into the walls and melting all over the place. There's a room that has like a, a waffle cone um, wallpaper all over the side of it. So yeah, I'm sure if you look through Instagram, you'll see what I'm talking about. People oh, love posting stuff. So yeah, it's uh, it's crazy. I, I've seen it all over my Instagram the last you know few months. Everybody in LA is going to this place, and it, it's weird because I feel like more of these things are popping up where they're like. I mean, you called an Instagram hotspot, um, where it's these places and almost museums that are just created for you to get your photo in the place and not even created for an experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I should say that I feel um, like maybe a little hypocritical because one of the times I was on this podcast talking to you about uh, I went to another museum in downtown L.A. and it was for the uh, I was talking about the infinity room. Uh, at the crap, I don't even the remember broad. the name of the uh, the Broad. Yes, broad. the Broad Museum. Um, yeah, they had the Infinity Room, and that was like people were waiting in line for hours and hours, and you could only be in there for forty five seconds, and I, or like forty five seconds to a minute. And I was talking about how insane that was to me um, that people would wait all that time just to go in there and take a picture of themselves. This is sort of <laughs> the same thing, kind of, but the difference is you can spend as long as you want in here, and you're not limited to you know. It's like going on a, a roller coaster ride or something where even those are like they last whatever 90 seconds uh a couple minutes three minutes or whatever and but that infinity room being 45 seconds was the part that sort of drove me crazy but this is like you can go at your own pace you sort of walk through each room and and yeah they actually give you like really good ice cream in there so uh yeah it's it's uh <laughs> it's a little cheesy but it's uh it's worth it i might actually have to check it out but we, we should get into the news uh, Gambit is a movie that has been in the works for a while now. A live-action uh, X-Men movie from Fox starring Channing Tatum? Or is he still yes. involved? Yeah. yeah. Uh, we, we now have heard a rumored plot synopsis from the movie. Uh, what do we know? Yes. So, uh, first of all, a couple of um, sort of low-level X-Men characters are supposed to be making um, appearances in this movie. According to Splash Report... Characters like Richter, Fifolette, Danny Moonstar, Multiple Man, Marrow, and a, quote, blue X-Men regular who may be Mystique, Beast, or Nightcrawler is supposed to show up in uh, this movie. I, aside from those last three, have not heard of any of those other X-Men characters. I didn't, I haven't read X-Men comics since I was a kid, and I watched the animated series and stuff, but I don't recognize those names as characters I, that appeared on that series. I have read a lot of X-Men comics, and I don't recognize half those names. <laughs> Okay, good. That makes me feel a little bit better. So, uh, so yes, Splash Report has a a synopsis, and we're not an, entirely certain if this is accurate yet, because again, this movie has been in development for a long time. It's gone through a bunch of different uh, iterations and different writers and directors, and even I think in July or earlier this summer, Channing Tatum said that the movie is being reworked following the success of Deadpool and Logan. So, I'm hoping that this uh, plot synopsis is the result of that reworking. But basically it follows Remy LeBeau, who is Gambit. Uh, he's on trial in New Orleans and it flashes back to almost 25 years before and it sort of uh, shows the origins of how he becomes the the sort of master thief that we know Gambit to be. Um, I guess he's taken under the wing of uh, of a a master thief and and basically taught the ropes and um, 
he becomes a superstar of what's called the Thief Guild. He encounters Belladonna Boudreau while on the run from the cops, and he gets into a relationship with her. And um, there's like a Romeo and Juliet kind of thing going on because her family and the the LeBeau clan are, you know, constantly feuding and at odds. And then uh, there's supposed to be a big heist that goes on where Gambit sort of recruits a lot of these different people to get everything together and pull off this ultimate heist. And then, um, yeah, basically there's like a $40 million heist at stake with Mr. Sinister as the, the backer, basically the mysterious employer behind this whole thing. So that's, uh, essentially what we know. You can read a little bit more specifics, uh, on the article at slash film, but, um, Peter, what do you think about a Gambit movie? I know this has been in the works for a while. Do you think this is something that, uh, that has some potential? I don't know. I, I, I mean, for all the X-Men movies, fans, you know, he's a fan favorite. People have wanted to see Gambit on the big screen. And, you know, just like they wanted to see Deadpool on the big screen and Hollywood held back for such a long time. Um, I just feel like they should have they should introduce him in one of these X-Men first class universe movies before, you know, giving this prequel movie or, you know, this origin story. I feel like. Um, introduce him as, you know, the full-fledged, cool Gambit, uh, and then let's go back and find out how it happened. Um, that's, that's what I would like to see. Yeah, and this um, plot synopsis is supposed to be, it, it sort of describes the Gambit script as, like, the Ocean's Eleven of superhero movies, but like we were talking about, it features a lot of these low-level characters that you don't really immediately recognize. So I feel like it might be more effective if they were to swap out some of those characters with, you know, people that already exist in the X-Men universe that we know and love already. And yeah, sort of, um, more seamlessly integrate his character into the story. But, uh, yeah, we'll see how this goes. Also in the news, uh, Quentin Tarantino is totally down to direct a Star Trek movie and it already has ideas. Uh, Brad Oman wrote this article up for slash And basically, Tarantino, a few years back, was asked by the Nerdist podcast uh, in 2015 if he would like to direct a Star Wars movie. And he basically said that uh, he would be more interested in directing a Star Trek movie. So uh, TMZ took that and, you know, their usual Hollywood ambush where they come up across the celebrity on the streets. Uh, they asked Quentin Tarantino about this. And he basically said that uh, if, if uh, they offered him a meeting... For a Star Trek movie, he would take it, and that he actually has some ideas. Um, he said in that Nerdist podcast that you know there's some some episodes of Star Trek that could be adapted into feature length movies, such as The City on the Edge of Forever, and um, uh, it it would be interesting to see him take on. Uh, a franchise like Star Trek, although he admits that he only has two films left in him. Uh, Quintard, he knows one of these filmmakers who has, uh, you know, a long time ago kind of pointed at the dugout or pointed at the, uh, at the infield and been like, that's where my career is going to end right there, you know, with this amount of films. So if Quintard, Tarantino has only two films left in him, should one of those be a Star Trek film? Ben? Um, man, when you put it like that, it's sort of, uh, it, Tarantino is one of those guys who is consistently producing um, 
you know, original movies. And it, I love seeing what he does with them, even though they are often like genre riffs. Uh, they are completely original sort of standalone concepts. And if he were to slide into a big studio franchise film, I feel like there would be something inherently wrong with that. At the same time, the Star Trek movie franchise, I liked Star Trek Beyond, but it seems like they're struggling a little bit. That movie didn't make nearly as much money as its predecessor did. Um, I mean, obviously, Abrams has come in and sort of uh, revitalized the whole thing and, and given it that aesthetic that, as you mentioned, has sort of bled over into Star Trek Discovery. I have to imagine that Tarantino would have a totally different um, aesthetic uh, look in mind for what Star Trek could be and like the idea of those characters sort of chomping on his dialogue. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it, I can't deny that there is a, a base part of me that wants to see what that would be um, just from like sheer curiosity. But I think if, you know, gun to my head, I would say, no, I would rather a, a new original movie um, be one of the remaining two that Tarantino ends up making. Uh, sadly i think i would have to agree with you although i i wish we could see a universe you know the alternate dimension where quentin tarantino made a star trek movie i wish i could you know get gain access to that screening room and watch that movie once just to see what that would be like and what that would look like and what that would feel like you know I i would just love to see quentin tarantino be given a huge budget to do crazy ass shit yeah um Although I imagine his, I imagine his Star Trek movie would probably be kind of like a bottle episode of the TV series where all the people are stuck in one location or something, kind yeah. of like um, his earlier films. So. I wonder if maybe he would consider, you know, if if Paramount is serious and they, you know, hear us talking about this and they hear, you know, see all these articles about Tarantino making a Star Trek movie, if they're like, hey, let's take him up on this, if if all of the you know stars align. I wonder if Tarantino would consider this as like an anomaly and not count it as one of his two remaining movies. You know, I wonder if he when he says, oh, I have 10 movies you know, in, in me as a filmmaker, if that means 10 original movies, 10, you know, completely Tarantino films. Um, and this would just be sort of icing on the cake. I, I wonder what he would think about that if Paramount really took it seriously. Well, we'll just have to see. I, I, I assume that nothing's going to come of this, but uh, it's a, an interesting fantasy to imagine what a you know, Quentin Tarantino Star Trek film would be. And that does it for the news. Uh, ben, where can we find more of your work online? You can find me at SlashFilm.com and on Twitter at Twitter.com slash BenPairs. And for our feature presentation today, we have Slash Film Managing Editor Jacob Hall. How's it going, Jacob? Going pretty well. I'm recording from the top of the Animal Draft House self Lamar parking garage because it's the only place where it's quiet. Yes, you've been five days into Fantastic Fest, which is what we're here to talk to you about. But um, before we get into that, we should probably give an update on this whole Alma Draft House, Devin Faraci, and now it has turned into the Harry Knowles situation. So, um, let me. Uh, we, we've been ta- we've talked about this previously on Slash Home Daily. Um, I I'll, I'll give you a minimal uh, recap. And w- what has happened is um, a year ago, a blogger named Devin Faraci uh, was accused of sexual assault in a woman um, 
I think a, a while ago, uh, like a decade prior. And uh, basically the situation resulted in him leaving his job as the editor of Birth Movies Death, a movie blog owned and operated by Almo Drafthouse and a guy named Tim League. Um, we recently just found out that uh, Devin Faraci, this blogger, has been uh, working for the Almo Drafthouse under secret. Um, when the Fantastic Fest program came out, he was credited as writing some of the blurbs. Uh, this caused a lot of... Uh, people in the community to be upset because he is a guy that has upset a, a lot of people in addition to uh, these accusations from uh, multiple women. Um, Tim Lake came out to his defense saying that he deserved a second ch- chance and um, the community was more upset over that and that resulted in Tim Lake and Devin Fracci actually uh, parting ways a second time. But this this time, Tim Lake promises that things are going to change, that he he realizes he's been insensitive, um, you know, trusting his, you know, friendship over what he should have seen was going on. Um, after that happened, right before Fantastic Fest, Harry Knowles, the owner, creator of Ain't It Cool News, which was like the first movie blog out there. Uh, very, uh, at one time it was, you know, the most renowned movie blog in, on the internet. Um, and Harry Knowles has been a kind of a celebrity figure, not just in Austin, but around the world. He, you know, was on the Simpsons, um, as his own, you know, as himself. Uh, so, uh, his name was removed from the Fantastic Fest website. And Harry Knowles, if you don't know, is also the co-founder of Fantastic Fest. So what's going on there? You know, that sent a lot of um, outlets, uh, you know, trying to figure out what was going on. What was going on is there has been some accusations thrown at Harry Knowles. Um, This woman in Austin, Texas, is is claiming that um, over a decade ago, uh, she... Uh, Harry like rubbed up against her buttocks and legs in a way that made her feel uncomfortable. And after that, there was another incident where he put his hand under her shirt. Um, Harry has denied these allegations, but some other allegations have come out from across the Austin film community. It seems like this woman is not the only person that has had these kind of experiences with Harry and Harry obviously has his partnership with Tim Wake who owns Thalmo draft house. So, uh, this controversy has kind of continued and, uh, this is all going on while fantastic fest is, um, in full gear. And that brings us to today, right? Where, uh, Quint, Eric Vespi and, uh, uh, Compone, Steve, uh, both quit in a cool news after decades of service. Uh, Quint, I think, has been working there for since he was 16 years old um, over these allegations. So the dominoes are falling. Um, hopefully, you know, we're going to this is going to bring on some change in this community. And uh, and while Tim League has really, uh, you know, only released that one statement, he has said that he's having conversations in private with the community. And I think you've been part of this, these conversations. Yes, I don't want to say too much because I've spoken in, with the, in, in confidence with people associated with the Draft House, people associated with Fantastic Fest, 
people who have been visiting Fantastic Fest as writers or as fans for years, men and women from all different corners. And the conversations are happening, and it's a very difficult thing to talk about for many reasons. And one of the reasons is that uh, Twitter is rightfully outraged and rightfully involved, and writers on both coasts are doing good work. Uh, Kate Urbland and IndieWire broke the Harry Knoll story, and it's good journalism. Uh, and it is something that the women at Fantastic Fest are very grateful that it happened. But there is a lot of confusion and anger about how this is being talked about. Everywhere I go, there are uh, women um, online and here who are, who are saying that this is a bigger issue that the entire film community should be talking about all at once. Um, other women I've spoken to and li- have listened to have made it clear that they want support from Twitter and from other corners of the internet uh, movie watching and writing world, but don't need uh, or don't want um, judgment from afar. They want support from afar. So it's it's, it's a very it's, it's, it's a very tricky maze because it's, I'm trying to be an ally. I'm trying to support my friends and colleagues. I'm trying to listen. I spent much of this week between screenings listening to women, listening to their stories, and trying to figure out how I can be a better ally, a better friend, and a better colleague. Yeah. And as far as, and I feel like the, the internet has a, has a habit of making tricky situations binary, and this is the definition of a tricky situation, so all I can do what, what, is what do you What do you mean? You can't talk things. about this in 140 characters? <laughs> no, as you, can, as you can hear from my rambling, I'm trying to hedge, hedge my conversation. Okay. I, I, I don't even want to talk about who I've spoken with because I spoke in confidence. Yeah, yeah. I, I can say that. It, you know what? Right it should, yeah. Before you get to that, it, we should say, you know, I want to paint a better picture of this because a lot of people listening to this, especially, you know, outside of Austin and around the world, probably don't understand um, the situation uh, as much, um, you know, the Alamo Draft House is not just a movie theater in Austin, but it is, you know, community. It's a, uh, it's a very fanatical community of film fans. And Harry Knowles is not just, you know, a guy that runs a website in Austin. He's, uh, in many ways, like the, the figurehead of this community. And for many years, he's been kind of, um, in a place of power in this community so much so that like one of the ladies that made this accusation on uh, Twitter, uh, admitted that she only unfollowed him now, even though, you know, he sent her these, uh, very gross DMS or supposedly sent her these very gross DMS, you know, months and months ago. And that just goes to show you that she was afraid to not only say anything, but to unfollow him. Um, and these are, you know, these are two leaders of the community that are part, you know, they're not just part of this community, but uh, they're uh, a big uh, cornerstone of this community. And it, 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 it sets kind of the atmosphere for the community, right? It, it, that's true. Um, I, I, I was never friendly with Harry, but I have been friendly with Tim League, um, as I've said in the podcast before. Uh, we, we, don't, we don't hang out at, at, at his house, but I've been to his uh annual Christmas parties. Uh, he helped me arrange my marriage proposal at the Animal Draft House. Um, it's really hard to be a movie fan in Austin and not have some kind of feelings uh, about Tim League and the Draft House. It is very central to the community, and that's why it hurts so much, and that's why 
the conversations here have been have been very nuanced and very personal and involved a lot of quiet back and forth in the corners of the festival as opposed to yelling on Twitter. Because yelling on Twitter gets stuff done, and people should be angry, and they should be allowed to talk about this, and they should have an opinion. Um, but I feel like the real work, the real change, if it's going to happen, is happening here. Um, in the conversations where I've been learning about what's been going on behind the scenes, what's being done, what's being set in motion, things I can't talk about. I've been asked by people close to the festival and to the draft house my opinion on certain things. I've given it. I have done my best to uh, relay my, my feelings uh, responsibly in a way that I think reflects both myself and Slash Film. Uh, I, like I said, right now, it's it's such a incredibly screwed situation where a lot of collateral damage is happening. Like, there are programmers in Fantastic Fest who are just trying to run a good film festival and don't know how to, aren't prepared to feel these questions. And it's just a case where it's, it's such a, uh, a mess. And I, I'm trying to navigate this and trying to treat it responsibly as best as I can. And it, that, that just means for me to, to listen, to respond responsibly and to believe people when, when they say things are, are going wrong. Um, I, I, and I really hope that the people listening from afar understand that um, it's very difficult um, in Austin to just sudden, suddenly swear off the community you've been a part of for, for me for, for a decade when I would much rather uh, people like, like myself even um, are educated and learn and help rebuild as opposed to write it off. And that's why I'm being careful because I, I say if people have been making the wrong decisions, um, they should be dealt with accordingly, but I'm not going to let my community down. I'm not going to let the women who I've been attending Fast Fest with a dec for a decade down. Um, people I've, there are people, there, there are men and women I've met at this festival who are incredible, uh, who I've known for years. And I know that we are prepared to fight to save our community and fight to reshape our community and fight to change it for the, for the better. And I, I really hope I'm expressing this in, in a way that people who are angry from afar can understand why this is complex to me and why this is complex to the men and women in the Austin world. We should acknowledge that it, it does reach outside of Austin. You know, these are people in power that affect people worldwide on Twitter and internet. Um, so, I mean, I think this is a bigger conversation, too, about um, about our community at, at large. And um, But uh, it just seems like um, a lot of people are waiting to see what change comes from this and to see if Tim League has learned any lessons. But we should move on because people aren't listening yeah. to this podcast to hear about <laughs> this. Uh, they want to hear about the films you saw at Fantastic Fest. Uh, so the first half of the fest is over, I think. The first half, yes, it's day five as I'm talking to you right now. It's uh, Monday afternoon. And, and the, the, the crummy thing, Peter, is that as rough as this year has been and as, as traumatizing as it's been for a lot of people, um, Fantastic Fest continues to have some of the absolute best programming of any festival I ever go to. It's, it's impeccably run. Um, scheduling system and the ticketing systems are near perfect it well it is a festival that um runs on all cylinders from like you go there and if you you have a good time watching movies and, and it tends to be and it tends to be a good time and that's why i think a lot of people are even taking this, a lot of the news talk about earlier even harder but um 
like past years, um, speaking strictly as a as a, an event full of movies, it's been a really good year. So what do you want to hear about first? Do you want to hear about a um, a uh, really great movie or a movie that um, is really bad, but I think people should see it anyway? <laughs> uh, let's start with the really great. We, we Coming off this last conversation, I think we need <laughs> something really great. Okay, uh, I'll start with my favorite movie, The Fest, so far. This is uh, Joseph Kahn's Bodied, and I was bowled over by this. I was not expecting to love it like I did. It is a uh, rap battle movie about a uh, privileged white kid who's interested in the underground world of uh, rap battling and gets involved into it. And people compare it to Whiplash. If Whiplash was a rap comedy, and that sounds so unbearable on paper, but an execution is so funny and so smart. And it's all about dissecting PC culture and tearing it down while reinforcing it in ways that, like, in ways that are com- complex and funny and smart. And it is such a witty, chaotic, uh, gut punch of a movie that just says there is no easy answer to talking about anything in the, in the year 2017. Everything is hard to talk about. Everything is offensive. How do we live in this world? And does it while being an extremely entertaining, like, riotous rap comedy? You got a standing ovation. I've never seen that fantastic us before. Uh, I won't be reviewing it on the site because uh, a producer of it is, is a friend of mine. But I feel comfortable talking about it on the, on the podcast. And it is a phenomenal movie. Okay, um, and uh, is it, does this have distribution yet? It does not. Uh, and Joseph Kahn was on Twitter saying that even though it premiered uh, to raves at uh, Toronto Film Festival a few weeks ago, and and is like bold, the audience is over here. It doesn't have distribution. It's not lined up for any more fests. He's he's saying on Twitter he's worried that um, a studio will buy it and force him to cut it down and make it less offensive. And it is. It's very offensive. There's a lot of extremely hurtful language in it. And then, but the movie's about hurtful language and about how hurtful language operates in the age of the internet and in the age where everything ends up on YouTube and Twitter. So I, I think it's vital the movie's offensive and vital that's in your face and vital that it's going to sting and hurt some people. Um, so I'm very curious to see who will pick it up if it gets picked up. Uh, let's move on to the movie that you did not like, but we should see. Oh my goodness. I want to talk about uh, S. Craig Zoller's uh, Brawl in Cell Block 99, which is. It, it's something else. I disliked it strongly. Other people at the fest loved it. So what? And, what is it? Okay, here's what it is. Uh, Vince Vaughn, uh, yes, the, the, com- the comedian Vince Vaughn, plays this bruising, hulking, righteous criminal who gets sent to prison and gets issued an ultimatum by his enemies on the outside to do something horrible that I can't spoil because the ultimatum comes about 70 minutes into a two-and-a-half-hour-long movie. Because up to that point... There's essentially no plot. It's a series of episodes of Vince Vaughn being tough, punching cars. Um, it is a scene where he beats up a car, literally, but, and acting tough and saying tough things and being this up, upright American who's also a criminal. And it's this, this really bizarre, bizarre movie that um, ultimately goes to really violent, dark places. And Vince Vaughn's being – Vince Vaughn's essentially written as if he's the rock. He's tearing things apart with his bare hands. He's <laughs> smashing in people's faces with his, with, with his fists and his feet. And in the final act, it becomes maybe the most violent movie I've ever seen in my entire life. There is a moment of violence that is so extreme that I, I think it's going to be the, a thing that people spring on each other on YouTube, saying like, hey, come watch this. Watch this funny Vince Vaughn thing. And it is not a funny Vince Vaughn thing. It is a very violent, horrible Vince Vaughn thing. And it, it is two and a half hours long. If it was 80, 80 minutes long, I think I could recommend it fully as like a great trash masterpiece for people who like deranged, bizarre things. But it's very slow. It plods. It's full of pretentious dialogue and uh, like 
it's written as if it's um, trying to be poetic and trying to be about something when it's just really violent, interesting trash. And if that sounds appealing, by all means, go for it. I, I told the entire plot to my wife because she didn't want to see it. And saying it out loud made it sound great and amazing. But I can't, So I can't tell yeah. people not to go see it. <laughs> but it, it, it is a bad movie that I think people who are intrigued by what I've said should go see. What, what, what's another really good movie? This one is one you can see very soon. Uh, Netflix produced it. It's a Netflix original movie opening or streaming on October 20th. And it is called Wheelman. It stars Frank Grillo, who you may remember is Crossbones in the Captain America movies. Uh, but he's also a really cool actor who I've always liked. He has the kind of face that would have been a movie star in the 70s. He's kind of like a Clint Eastwood, Steve McQueen, uh, handsome but been through a hard time look and voice. He's also starred in the, uh, the second and third Purge movies, if you've seen those. And Wheelman, it's the uh, directorial debut of writer-director Jeremy Rush, produced by Joe Carnahan who read uh, Jim Rush's screenplay, and he was a P- uh, Jim Rush was a PA at the time, and said, this screenplay is really good, let's make it. And now it's coming to Netflix. And it is an 82-minute long crime drama, or thriller, whatever word you want to use, and it is a phenomenal piece of entertainment. I'm writing a review right now, you should see that on Slashfilm.com today or tomorrow. Um, it does not waste your time. Unlike um, Brawl and Subblock 99, it's, like I said, it gets in, gets out, there's not a wasted moment in it. And they basically just... It, it sounds familiar at first. It's a Frank Grillo plays a getaway driver on a night where a job goes wrong. But if you remember the movie Locke from 2003, which is a Tom Hardy movie where the entire movie was him in his car talking on his phone in real time as he made a long drive, this is essentially Locke uh, as a crime movie. It's Frank Grillo in his car. The camera never leaves the car uh, for 90% of the movie. There are a few shots where, the, where, where we go outside the car. But the camera's always attached to the car, like to the to the door or or to the roof or to the um, hood. So it's even though it's a car movie, it was driving all over Boston and getting car chases and getting gunfights. The camera never leaves the car, so we're always watching action through the windshield or and or watching Frank Grillo's face as he's trying to outrun somebody chasing him. And it makes this whole epic crime drama feel like very personal. You feel desperation. You're trapped in this car as the car starts getting covered in blood and, and, and windshields are getting shattered, and as the car starts looking more and more conspicuous. So even though it, it follows his kind of typical action beats at times, and there's some predictable, predictable moments, the style uh, actually isn't just a cool a choice of making something look cool. It's a choice of how do I make you feel what it's like to actually be in this increasingly bad situation. And it's going to be on Netflix, and, you, and if you have the chance um, on uh, next month, it's worth seeing. Uh, in the theater, my seat was rattling from the sound design, from the incredible score. Frank Grillo's performance is fantastic. It is so much fun. It's an audience movie. And it's the kind of thing that makes me wish Netflix believed more strongly in pushing theatrical like Amazon does, because I had such a blast watching this. It'll be, it'll be fun at home, and you'll have a great time at home. But it, it's it's such a big screen movie, and I'm, I feel very fortunate to have seen it under these circumstances. It sounds interesting. It sounds uh, I'm disappointed that I won't be able to see it on the big screen. Um one of the things I used to love about going to Fantastic Fest is seeing the most insane, crazy movies that will never probably get distribution. Um, ha- have you encountered any of those yet? Um, this year, I haven't seen as many truly insane things yet. Um, the the movie that is probably the nuttiest movie I've seen, and the reviews up on the site right now, is a... Uh, movie called Anna in the Apocalypse, which is a 
Scottish zombie Christmas comedy musical. It is shot. <laughs> it is yes. I need that. It is that. shot like it is. Imagine High School Musical. It has the High School Musical aesthetic. It has that Disney Channel look by design, and the characters are all preppy, pretty, charming, good-looking kids, and they're all really fun actors. They all have that sort of Zac Efron vibe of you know, um, probably too pretty to be actual high schoolers, but the, you, you like them anyway. And for the first twenty minutes or so, it's a pretty standard and enjoyable enough high school comedy where they break into song every eight to ten minutes. And then zombies invade their town. And the movie starts... Um, this is where I started getting worried, because I wrote this in my review, is that it started being like, oh, look, we're now a comedy zombie um, with a musical. Look how cute we are. For about five minutes. And then when the kids start realizing, oh, no, this actually is really bad. People we love are dying. We're not getting out of this easily. Oh, no, this, this is awful. And the movie becomes an actual horror movie with actual songs. And I appreciate this because the best musicals for my, for my money are the ones that say, we're breaking the song not because it's a joke, but because we're expressing emotions that are so extreme they can only be sung. And Anna and the Apocalypse becomes its best in the second half where the songs become like an extension of like genuine fears and anxieties that you'd normally see in a horror movie. And it's a really fun, charming, nice movie. And it's really inclusive. Um, in fact, this has been a, the weird trend of Hexfest this year is that there's been a lot of really LGBTQ-friendly movies, a lot of queer movies, a lot of movies where women are taking control of, the, of their existence. So by accident, I feel like Fantastic Fest programming feels like a weird reaction to a lot of things that are happening um, in, in real life. And End of the Apocalypse is, is, is one of the movies that's following that trend. And I, I hope somebody picks it up. I can't imagine it'll be unavailable forever. It's too weird. People liked it too much at the fest. Uh, I, I hope people get to see it. That's one reason why I made sure I viewed it first, because hmm. uh, people are going to see Wheelman. It's coming to Netflix, but End of the Apocalypse is, deserves spotlight yeah I, I definitely want to check that out um well i will let you get back to fantastic fest and we'll have you on after this whole uh festival has wrapped to uh give the other films that you have seen um a chance to shine to uh all those people out there who might not uh you know might not have these films on their radar so yeah it's uh, and I'll, I'll be back in a few days um of course you can follow me on twitter um jacob s hall uh, for, for real-time updates um things that i'm seeing and reviews will be trickling out on this last one throughout the week so look for those too grand canyon university's rn to bsn online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are leaving room for what matters achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.